This morning, I want to begin by introducing you to a man who you owe your life to today. The man's name is Stanislav Petrov, and he's the reason that you're alive. Stanislav's job when he was younger was to monitor and man the early warning satellite system of the Soviet Union. His job was to let his superiors know if during the Cold War, America launched a nuclear attack on the Soviet Union. And so on September 26th, 1983, Stanislav went to work like it was any other day. But about midnight that night, the alarms went off. And according to his system, there was one ballistic missile, likely with a nuclear tip, headed for the Soviet Union, and he had a decision to make. Something in his gut said, this isn't right, this isn't true. The suspicion was, if the Americans ever fired on the Soviet Union, we would launch hundreds of missiles, not one, to ensure they couldn't retaliate. And he had the sense that his system just wasn't working right at that point, and so he decided not to alert his superiors, who would have been, by law, forced to unleash a massive attack on the United States. The missile went off his radar and it never fell and hit the ground. A few hours later, he saw five American missiles on his radar. And again, he sensed that this wasn't a real attack. And so he didn't say anything. And those missiles never hit the ground. We didn't know about this event in Stanislav's life until five years ago. But he is the man who is the reason that you're alive today. And September 26, 1983, is a day that changed the trajectory of his future and ours. It's what we call an inflection point. You see, inflection points are moments in which our decisions define our future in acute ways. It's the moment, according to math, that a curve goes from positive to negative or negative to positive. And inflection points aren't just found in math, they're found in your life and in mine. You had an inflection point when you decided to break up with her and start dating her instead. You had an inflection point when you decided to call and put your name in for that job. You had an inflection point when you decided to go to this school over that school. You had an inflection point when you decided to call in and say, I'm not going to take that opportunity because I want to do this instead. You had an inflection point when you decided to move to Prescott from somewhere. You had an inflection point when you decided to say, I'm sorry, I really screwed up, I was wrong. Some of you had an inflection point when you said, I'm tired of this addiction, I want to be sober. Some of you had an inflection point when you said, no, we're not going to keep talking about divorce. We're going to fight for this marriage. Sitting in a room like this, each of us have five or 10 or 15 inflection points in our lives where we can go, I was going in one direction and then because of that decision, everything changed. One of the things I want to challenge you to do this week is think about your life and what are your inflection points? What are the moments that changed everything? For the last few weeks, we've been looking at Joshua's life, and Joshua's life is filled with inflection points. He made a decision to respond with hope and not fear and defy the rest of the spies and say, I'm going to trust God. 
he had an inflection point when he decided to accept the calling of God on his life and succeed the greatest leader in all the scriptures outside of Jesus, a man named Moses. He had an inflection point when he decided to be strong and courageous, even though he felt afraid and frightened and dismayed. And this morning, we're going to look at three additional inflection points in the life of Joshua that literally changed the trajectory of his future and his people's. And the central theme of all three of these inflection points is a little four-word phrase I want you to write down this morning as our big idea. And that phrase is, the reward is more. The reward is more. I'm even going to ask you once you write it down in those four blanks on your handout to repeat it with me. The reward is more. The reward is more. One more time. The reward is more. One final time. The reward is more. Those four words are going to form up our study of this part of Joshua's life today. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be in three different scenes in Joshua's life. One is in Joshua 3, one is in Joshua 6, and one is in Joshua 10. And in these three stories, we are going to learn what I call three unexpected rewards for courage. Three unexpected rewards for courage. And the first one begins in Joshua 3. Last week, we left Joshua, and he had heard this message from God, this four-word phrase, and that four-word phrase was... Be strong and courageous. Man, guys, it's only been seven days. It's only been seven days. Be strong and courageous. Well, he hears God speak those words. And then in Joshua 3, God speaks to Joshua and he says, gather the people and pick 12 of the Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this box that held several things that were vital to the life of Israel. It was the sign of God's presence. And those 12 men were going to walk in front of the people. And he said, people keep 2,000 cubits, which is basically 1,000 yards between the ark and you. So you can see it. And he says, and step forward and follow them, but don't yet go into the River Jordan, which is where we're going to pick the story up in Joshua 3, verse 7. Joshua 3, verse 7 begins, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, that when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now jump down to verse 14 if you're following along in your Bible. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest, again, who are a thousand yards in front of the people, were dipped in the the brink of the water. Now, a little side note here in verse 15. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks through that time of harvest. We'll come back to this. It's a very important little side note that Joshua records. The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, what we call the Dead Sea often, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. 
Now this morning, the first thing we're going to learn about the reward for courage is that the reward is more and bigger leaps, not smaller steps. The reward for courage is more and bigger leaps, not smaller steps. See, there's this really interesting side note in the midst of this story. This story about the priest stepping into the Jordan and then the Jordan's waters stopping miles and miles apart. And the significant piece of that story is that the Jordan River was at flood stage. Now, the Jordan River, if you've ever been to Israel, in certain places, it's a very small and tiny river. But during flood stage, the Jordan River swelled. And it was as, as deep as 12 feet in certain parts. The water flowed at 40 miles per hour. And it was up to a mile wide. It was surrounded by marsh. And one writer says that it was more of a jungle to cross than a river. Because you had a mile wide with marshes on every side up to 12 feet deep and 40 miles an hour passing. You weren't going to do a little hop over a bunch of pebbles through this river. You weren't going to bring thousands of small children through this river. You weren't going to bring the aged and the invalid through this river. And it was crazy that you would step in that river while carrying something. And yet that is the exact thing that God called them to do. If you know your history, you know that this isn't the first body of water this nation has encountered. The first body of water they crossed was called the Red Sea. And what happened in that story? In that story, God says to Moses, raise your staff and I'll part the Red Sea and you'll go through on dry ground. It's an amazing miracle, but it requires this much faith because you step into what's already dry ground. Well, they went from that to this, from this much faith to this much faith. Because those priests who got the great job of stepping into the floodwaters, God said, I'm not going to part the floodwaters until you step in first. This isn't how we like God to work, by the way, just, just so you're t- if you're taking notes. This is kind of the opposite of how we like God to work. See, this time what happens is that our obedience precedes God's movement. In this kind of story, it isn't God moves in powerful ways and we go, oh my gosh, God's opening this giant door, which is Christianese for God's making it very easy, so therefore that must be God's will. No, this is, I'm going to obey God and my obedience is going to precede the miracle. All of us like the opposite. We love the miracle to precede our obedience. Why? Because it's easy, safe, and comfortable. And this isn't how God moves in this story. It's not easy, it's not safe, and it's not comfortable. And many of us like to believe that as we follow God, it's going to be a stair step down from difficult to easy. When the truth is, it's not a stair step down, it's a stair step up. God didn't reward Joshua's courage with an easier assignment. He rewarded his courage with something that required more faith. That's why our reward is more and bigger leaps of faith, not smaller steps. 
This is the sobering part of this message, that if you think you're in a difficult season now, God is going to reward your courage now with something later that's going to require even more courage. Good news this morning from your pastor. (laughs) And I share this with a tremendous amount of empathy because this is how God has moved in my life. In 2001, I visited Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona, which was a dump of a school. I'd never seen irrigation before. They flood the field with irrigated water. And so I walked on campus and the campus, it smelled. And there was no one living in the dorms. I couldn't find anybody around. My, my lovely counselor had taken a trip and forgotten that I was coming to visit her. And it was just the worst visit ever. I remember leaving Phoenix in the fall of 2001 saying, I am never going to that school. That is the bottom of the list. Well, as it had it, I lost a $76,000 scholarship to my dream school, and every school in between came back with not enough money for me to consider going to school there because my dad was a pastor, and I was going to be in a pastor. And, uh, and who wants to get buried in $50,000 in student loans when you're going to be a pastor? And then just weeks before graduation, GCU called and said, hey, we'd love to offer you a full tuition scholarship and pay part of your room and board. And I said, it must be God's will. I'm going to Phoenix. (laughs) I mean, it was a really difficult decision to make. I tell you, I lost a lot of sleep over that one. And those those moments are amazing because you know that God is in something and it requires this much faith. But four years later, I'd been living in Phoenix, and I was torn between moving to San Francisco to go to seminary or to stay in Phoenix and go to seminary there and work at a local church, and I just couldn't decide. One of the guys who was part of the hiring process was in Las Vegas, where I was living at the time, and, uh, and he came up and visited, and I told him that I didn't want the job. I actually turned it down. I called him a day later, and I go, hey, have you told anybody yet? And he said, no. I said, let's, let's go back from no to maybe. And I just, I, I waffled on that decision because I couldn't get clarity. And I made the decision in the early part of June of 2006 to stay in Phoenix, having never heard from God. Sometimes you have to make a decision and you still don't know for sure. And it was from June of 2006 till right before Labor Day that I just took a step and took a step and took a step, not knowing if I was out of God's will. And then I had a moment, and it's too long to tell right now, but it was a supernatural moment in somebody's office at my church there where it was almost like God said, yep, here, this is why I told you to come here. I'm like, well, you didn't tell me, God, but I'm here anyway. (laughs) And that was my Jordan River moment. See, sometimes you step one foot in the water and God parts it. Sometimes you go months and months and months and months down the road on a decision before you get confirmation that you did the right thing. You move from a small step to a bigger leap. And this is how God works in Joshua's life. And it's not how we like God to work. In the words of Erwin McManus, we want God to give us adventure without the risk. Many of us want God to give us a life of adventure without the risk. But you don't get adventure without risk. What makes it an adventure is the inherent risk. And so the first reward for courage is more and bigger leaps of faith rather than small steps. 
The reward is more. That's the first inflection point. The second inflection point happens in the life of the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 6 in a city called Jericho. Joshua 6 verse 1 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. They were afraid of this people. None went in and none went out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its mighty men of valor and its king. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, and you shall do this for six days. Now, I know all of us have sang this song before, but you have to understand this was the dumbest military strategy of all time. Marching in circles. And they did it for six days. And they didn't know how the story ended. And they had to believe that God has taken some crazy pills to be giving us this kind of direction. In Joshua 6, verse 4, God says, Seven seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Covenant. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and they shall make a long blast with the ram's horn when you hear the sound of the trumpet. Then all the people shall shall shout with a great shout and the wall will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And the walls fell down from people shouting. I know it's really unbelievable. And the lesson that I take away from this is that the reward for courage is more trust in God's plan and less in our ways. The reward for courage is more trust in God's plan and less in our ways. I have to think that as those Israelite warriors were circling that wall those six days and looking up at those giant walls, because Jericho was the most fortified city in Canaan, that they had to believe, how is this helping? What is this supposed to do? See, I think about all the things that happen in between the verses in the Bible, you know, that we don't get recorded, you know. I kind of want the director's cut of the Bible sometimes. Like, I want the stuff that gets cut out, you know. Tell me about what Caleb and Joshua were discussing as they walked along. How is this going to work, Joshua? I have no idea. You ever done this before? No. Does this make any sense to you? Absolutely not. And yet each of us have probably been there at some point in our lives where you're following God in obedience despite it making no human sense to you. Some of you are there right now. You're in a situation that doesn't make any sense to you. And it feels like you're circling walls and shouting at them, waiting for them to fall. See, the reward when you follow God for courage is more trust in his plan and less in your own. We worship a God who we call sovereign, and then we're surprised that his ways don't make sense to us. If his ways are higher than our ways, then they're not going to make sense. And see, what happened was that as soon as Joshua had crossed the Jordan and had the faith and courage to follow God there, God rewarded him with a bigger problem. See, in God's economy, the reward for solving a problem is a bigger problem. Now, in our economy, we think the the, the reward for solving a problem is a raise and a vacation. 
But in God's economy, the reward for solving a problem is he can trust you with an even bigger one. See, there is no idea of retirement in the economy of God. One person gets left out in this series is a guy named Caleb, who at 85 says, Joshua, give me the hardest city to conquer. I'll take it. There is no idea in the economy of God that you stair-step down from difficult to easy. No, the reward that God gives you is bigger and bigger problems and bigger and bigger challenges and situations that make less and less sense because he believes you have the faith and courage to trust him in those moments. The reward is more. I've got a, a person that I know and they have a phrase when they're in the middle of one of these kind of moments. This is what they say. I don't know how this is going to work out, but it's going to make a great story one day. (laughs) Isn't that true? I mean, the best stories we tell are the ones that in the middle, we have no idea how they're going to end. When you go camping or you go hunting, you're out in nature and you're sitting around a campfire. Do you tell the stories where you totally knew every beat and step along the way? Or do you tell the stories that were totally crazy? You had no idea how they were going to work out and you barely survived. No, those are the stories worth telling. They're just the stories that we avoid living. Isn't that ironic? That the most powerful, compelling stories to tell are the ones that we avoid getting into. Because we want adventure without the risk. We want courage without the situation that leads to courage. And God is reminding us again and again of these four words, the reward is more. Not more ease, not more retirement, not more sitting around, but situations that call for more and greater courage. The moments that make us feel alive. Some of us desperately want to feel alive. We're just avoiding the path to life. And God says the reward is more. The third story is one that many people have never heard, and it's in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. If you thought those two stories were crazy, then buckle your seatbelt for this one. At that time, it says, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, this is Joshua's prayer. My clicker will work. He says, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And so that day the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar that the sun stopped in the midst of the heaven, and it did not hurry to set for about a whole day? There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. According to the scriptures, Joshua prayed, God, we're not going to be able to win this battle unless you stop the sun from moving. And God granted his request. I know some of you are thinking, Scott, you can't actually believe that happened. Well, I believe that a guy was killed and rose from the dead. So sun, sun standing still, it really kind of pale in comparison to that. If you believe in a God who raises people from the dead, he can stop a sun from moving. 
and keep the earth from falling off its axis or freezing or burning up. See, the third lesson we learn about the reward for courage is the reward is more bold prayers, not more safe ones. The reward for courage is more bold prayers, not more safe prayers. One of the reasons I wanted to do the prayer for the persecuted church today is I think that praying for the persecuted church is a reminder of the kinds of prayers we need to be praying. Did you hear that video? The guy said, we have terrorists in our country, but on the road to Damascus, Syria, one day in the Bible, God took a terrorist and he turned him into the author of a quarter of the Bible. The man who is the reason that you're here today because he evangelized the Roman Empire. And he says, we believe that God is still in the business of doing that. And so instead of praying a safe prayer, God, get us out of Syria, get us to a place of safety. He's saying, God, no, keep us faithful in Syria and bring the terrorists to Christ. That's a bold prayer. And yet so many of our prayers are what my dad calls the organ recital. Not the one you play, the organs inside you. The people who are sick and the people who are in the hospital and for traveling mercies, which by the way are not in the Bible. I don't know where we got the word traveling mercies from, but so many of our prayers are for our own safety and security. For our own ease. Not that God would use us. Not that God would lead us into a life of adventure. Not that we would be bolder and more courageous, but that we'd be more safe. Safety has become an idol in the American church. And while our brothers and sisters around the world are living with greater and greater courage, we're wondering why it is that we're not having an impact. Maybe it's because we need to start praying for more bold prayers. I mean, think about it. Joshua prayed that God would make the sun stand still. How did he get there? Well, he prayed for God to deliver the people out of Egypt and God delivered 10 plagues. He prayed for God to protect them as the Egyptian army was chasing them and God parted the Red Sea. He prayed for courage and so he stood up amidst his whole nation and said, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going to follow God. He'd seen God part a river that was flowing at 40 miles an hour and he'd seen people shout and walls fall down. That's how he got to the place where he could pray, God, make the sun stand till. Mark Batterson says that bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. So my question for you this morning is what's the last bold prayer you prayed? And where do you need to beginning, begin praying bold prayers again? Some of us, we're not praying bold prayers honestly because we're afraid God's not going to answer them. Some of us have prayed bold prayers in the past and God didn't answer in the way we expected. And so we're turning the fear knob and we're afraid to pray those kind of prayers because you don't want to be disappointed again. But the truth is that what we often admire in others, we avoid working hard for ourselves. We often admire in others what we work hard to avoid ourselves. You see, we'd like to be in a place like Joshua is where he's praying a bold prayer. We just don't want to walk the road of Joshua to get to that place. We don't want to face certainty and uncertainty and moments of courage and moments of greater courage. We want to be able to pray bold prayers. We just don't want to walk the road that Joshua took to get to the place where we had that kind of courage and faithfulness. 
And I'm here to remind you of four short words, that the reward is more. The reward is not more peace. The reward is not more ease. The reward is more courage and more trust and more boldness. And if you aspire to that, then you need to begin by being courageous today. I have some next steps for you before we close this morning on the back of your handout if you're still following along. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to expect that your next step will demand more courage than your last one. Just prep yourself that when God gives you another step to take, it's going to require more courage and not less. So don't be surprised. That's how God works. Number two, I want to challenge you to thank God for the problems you're facing today. I know you think I've lost it, that you'd thank God for those problems, but the problem you're facing today is preparing you for the problem you're going to face tomorrow. And the problems you faced yesterday prepared you for the problem you're facing today. So thank God in the midst of that. While you're at it, thanking God, number three, I want to challenge you to brainstorm all of the ways that God could be at work in your present crisis. So whatever challenge or crisis you're facing, I want you to brainstorm, how could God be at work in this? What could God be doing? What are all the ways in the future that God could use this season in my life? What's, what's so funny is we look back in the past in our lives and we go, man, two, three, four, five years ago, things happened that prepared me for today. Your inflection points. So many of the moments that you were overwhelmed and terrified of, you look back on now and you say, thank God for that. Because I wouldn't be where I am today without that. But when it comes to the moment you're in right now, which isn't that different from the moment you, you just thank God for in the past, it's impossible to thank God for it. It's impossible for you to see how God could be working in it. So this week, I want you to brainstorm, what are all the ways that God could be using this season in my life? What are all the ways that God could be at work right now? And I think what you're going to find is that there's more there that meets the eye. And then finally, number four, I want to challenge you to write a bold prayer this week. Not seven, not 10, not 10 pages, just one. I want to challenge you to write one bold prayer this week. Because I believe four words are true. I want you to repeat them with me this morning. The reward is more. One more time. The reward is more. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are at work in our lives. We thank you that you have been preparing us and you are preparing us. You've been with us and you are with us. And God, as I stand in this room today, there are people who have seen you move in ways that rival the stories we just read from Joshua. And God, I want to pray for them because I think some of them doubt that you can do it again. That you can do what you did in that situation in the one that they're in today. God, I, I want to lift up to you the person in this room who feels like they're stepping into a Jordan River at flood stage. They don't understand how you're at work. They don't see what you're doing, but you're calling them to obey and they're having to trust that you're going to show up even when they don't see it.
I pray this morning that you strengthen and encourage them, that you increase their faith. And that you remind them that they are not alone. That they are one of millions and billions of believers who have followed you with courage. And you have rewarded that courage with greater courage and greater trust and greater boldness. God, as we're about to sing, we believe that you are still in the business of doing the miraculous. You've done it in our past. And we're believing that you'll do it again. So we pray that we would continue to respond with courage and hope. And that we would reject fear. That we would be strong and courageous. And that we would watch you do things that make incredible stories to tell one day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.